Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the second episode of this six-part miniseries of the Aeronex podcast, which is focusing on the story of the industrial life cycle. And as I said before, no one should be unaware of the drive to increase sustainability and to push forward the greening of society and the many industries that support our societies to decarbonize our lives and the processes that support us. So in this mini-series, we will be looking at the life cycle of an object, a fuel, a ship, of a soap you can buy online or in the department store. The mini-series brings together experts to talk about how pressure to understand the impact of the environment of a product or a service over its total life needs to be determined and how this is going to impact your lives. My name's Craig Easton. I'm the editor of the Fathom World website and host of the Aronex podcast. And my name is Rasmus Ellsberg jensen I'm the founder and CEO of Reflow. Um, at Reflow, we are focusing on helping companies around the world to get a granular understanding of their emissions and and uh, and businesses of their products. And besides that, I'm also a EU Climate Pact ambassador. Well, I've asked Rasmus to join us and to be my expert on this journey through the life cycle picture of everything that you need to know. We're going to be finding out more about the companies and the people that are interested in it already and are taking an active move forward. Um, but there's one thing, it can't be confused. You can't confuse how LCAs um, fit into sustainability and vice versa. Um, I mean, some cases we've got companies that report and publish sustainability reports, um, ESG reports, and make claims about how green and wonderful they are or how wonderful, I guess, they really want to be. I've heard it called greenwashing. And I want to ask you a little bit about this, Rasmus, because I know you've got a beanie bonnet about this occasionally. Are we getting better at spotting greenwashing? I think there is, of course, there is a lot of greenwashing going out there and greenwashing can be divided into different categories. Uh, one of the categories is when you say you're doing something and having uh, claims that uh, that you don't or you, you don't have substantiated your claims. And I think that is probably what we see the most of right now is uh, companies that are claiming that they have a green product, but they don't have scientific data to support it. And um, what I can see that, that we as as consumers, but also uh, in a business-to-business -business, uh, uh, setup, we are actually getting more skeptic and more critical about these claims. And that, I think, is a very positive thing. So, And I think that's also where a science-based data like life cycle assessment can be used to get some more um, some more information and documentation to the people that are going to make decisions. And in Europe, there is now this sustainable finance disclosure regulation and a new taxonomy, which I guess, Rasmus, is going to be helping companies in identifying the right kind of investment, a green investment, a black investment. That's true. There are some different EU level initiatives that are being rolled out already next year. The sustainable uh, uh, reporting uh, initiative um, is being rolled out. And, and this is really um, for the first time requiring uh, companies to start reporting on their sustainability in a in a fixed and audited format. So this is really going to be a game changer in many ways. 
I spoke to um, Peter Secker. He's a sustainability expert within the financial institutions, including for many years, New Credit Sustainable Solutions in Copenhagen. You probably know him. Now, he told me that there are now demands on financial institutions on the reporting. Um, and he says it's a green picture that's only going to get greener. When mom and pop comes into the bank, uh, we will have to ask them in the banks, do you want uh, the green or black investments? And uh, interestingly, the ones I've you know, spoken to, uh, we are way above uh, 95%. All investors want green investments. And what's driving the EU taxonomy is uh, the investors, because that's where you have the law and regulation. Uh, the green taxonomy is not made in the way that you prohibit black products. So any cement producer or shipping company, they can sell black uh, that is high emitting uh, products and services. It's not prohibited. But the green taxonomy is about making money flow into green sustainable products. And we know that the investors want green solutions they want green investment products so when you go out in the market and you sell sustainable investments you have to verify that those money will go into green products and services so you will only invest in companies who are truly green and that's what we describe as the sustainable finance directive article eight and nine so article eight it means that you have a strong ESG rating provided by, for instance, Sustainalytics, IMSCI. So sustainable funds will be able to invest in companies with a strong ESG rating or Article 9 are those where you uh, actually have a threshold in your sub-industry. So, for instance, for cement, uh, you will have to uh, produce cement that uh, emits no more than 475 kilo CO2 per ton cement. That's the exact threshold that makes it green or black. So public spending will only go to green products, green services. Uh, and uh, it's interesting because this year, 2022, is the exact year when you'll separate all investments into black and green. And... Uh, the predictions are that, uh, you know, uh, companies that only do black products who do not, uh, you know, uh, fulfill their thresholds in the EU taxonomy will cease to exist because they will not get money. The, the institutions, the financial institution will, you know, be very reluctant to give them loans and credit facilities because they will say, well, they, they need huge capex and OPEX to change their production or how they offer their services because they're now black. And it is expected that, you know, again, the total global supply chain, life cycle analyses, scope free emissions. So all money will flow towards green products and services. So that's really the green uh, deal or what we call formally the EU taxonomy. And you can say it's a, it's the first time we have a global dictionary. So that dictionary, you can look into any sub-industry, including shipping, and say, what emissions am I allowed to? And then you know 
and uh, it's it's black and white, or in this case, green or black, if you're green or black. Uh, so can you expect uh, investors to buy your shares? Can you buy, can you expect your banks to continue providing you loans and credit facilities to, to continue uh, running your business? And our predictions are that only those who fulfill the EU taxonomy will uh, still be alive. That's sustainability and finance expert Peter Secker enlightening me about the new disclosure rules in Europe that are creating, he says, a lot more transparency for investors. Rasmus, is this opening things up and about to bring the change that Secker says it will? And if it does, what will it mean for companies wanting to get their data in order? I guess suppliers and companies offering supply chain, transport, shipping services, for example, will increasingly be asked to give the data to companies that need to report under this directive. So do we need to see companies get verified proof? I think uh, from what we hear from from Peter Sager here on the ES, uh, ESG framework, I think first of all the ESG framework is uh, is a is a very good framework to um, to assess uh, typically uh, public companies in their in their sustainability efforts. Um, so so looking at the ESG in general is very good. We also need to remember that this is mostly being used for public corporates, very large companies, and they're being measured in many different categories. And product emissions is just one out of, I believe, uh, at least 20 or 30 different areas a company can be assessed upon. So I think um, I think I think it's good, and I think the ESG will will uh, will will be something and is something that is important. But I also think that we need to be aware that ESG is not a science-based framework. It is not based on on science, and it's not um, it's not. It's not audited in a way where you will have a yes and a no, a right and wrong. So there is a lot of um, subjective, a lot of um, analysis and assessments that are up to the uh, to the assessor or the analyst to uh, to evaluate. So the ESG is definitely a step in the right direction, um, but it is also a very broad framework with a lot of you can make a lot of assumptions and you can make a lot of um, a lot of a. Um, yeah, you, it's basically up to whoever is assessing it. So, so that I think is important. So, it, so it can be vague. Is that what you're saying? It can be quite vague if you want it to be vague. I have seen examples where companies have a very good ESG uh, score, uh, but they're they're really just playing the game and really doing what is needed to get a good score, so they can fall under the category. But if they're doing something good for the environment, that's hard because. ESG does not really need you to show you're making change from year to year in terms of emissions saved. It is basically saying you have the instruments in order to do so. So I think that is that is one of my critique points on the ESG is that it would be great that companies now also commit to making change and not just report on on what they are what they are what they have in place or frameworks. One of the things that Peter was telling me was that the um, when when you're making an LCA, when you're making that life cycle assessment, it doesn't naturally fit into an ESG picture. 
That's true. There is a small uh, bracket or a small measuring point in the ESG called product emissions. And here the company will have to show that they are doing it, calculating their products emissions or have a framework in place to do so. Um, so you could say that the life cycle assessment is not necessarily um, aligned with the ESG because the ESG is also so much other than just a product environmental footprint. But I think the LCA uh, life cycle assessment is a, is a very good companion to the ESG because the life cycle assessment will, will give you understanding to understand your products and give you the data needed to make the change. Um, and I think that's, that's where they go hand in hand, but they're not completely aligned and they're not uh, necessarily uh, made for each other. Here's Peter again on another pressure, this time as manufacturers of consumer goods increase their pressure on shipping, something we heard a little bit about in the first episode from the manufacturers from House of Cosmetics and Viking Lifesaving. But here's the same message from the perspective of the financial expert who has seen companies like Adidas, Patagonia and Unilever begin to put CO2 labels on their high street goods and to do so, these companies need to know the details of the global supply chain and their transportation. When Unilever and other global coopers will put a CO2 label on any kind of food or groceries and clothing uh, is coming up soon, then the world will uh, completely change uh, the global supply chain. So, uh, for instance, uh, the clothes you're wearing uh, today you will ask yourself, uh, is this, uh, you know, is this from Bangladesh or India? Uh, and I think shipping will, you know, potentially be in for a revival because uh, it seems to me that all the analyses uh, made, uh, shipping is a very friendly way of uh, transporting, uh, you know, groceries, goods, uh, uh, any kind of products, uh, say from Far East, uh, where we, we get a lot of clothing, for instance, from Bangladesh or India. So, uh, so shipping uh, w will be a very friendly way, and uh, shipping in is itself, you know, as a transportation, uh, also changing. Uh, and it's interesting to see again life cycle analyses that uh, when it then uh, hits support here in Europe, it could be Hamburg or Rotterdam, then probably a, a an electric Volvo truck or a uh, Mercedes truck. Uh, running on hydrogen or maybe the new Tesla trucks will then transport it there further and uh, you know the last mile uh, probably will will change as in the old days it could be a um, you know bike or something electrical bringing it out to the consumers so the global supply chain uh, will change and it will be driven by LCA life cycle analysis you have to take literally everything into account and you have to measure it. You have to come up with the figures and say, how did I bring my product from A to B out to uh, the final consumer? And again, if you take clothing, Patagonia, Adidas, were outstanding uh, doing this job, Barry Calabao chocolate. They, uh, they are good at showing the scope three emissions. So this is, uh, you know, another uh, way of uh, doing the life cycle analysis. I think it will come for shipping, it will come for buildings as well, that you have to take into account, uh, you know, uh, the durability, you know, how many years can I use the ship or this building or car 
uh, where, where does my uh, where do my products uh, where do they come from where have they been originated do I have the full story yeah it needs to be verified not only by an ESG rating but it also uh, most companies uh, global will have to sign up with uh, companies like science-based target information so that you uh, your emissions are, are you know are verified when you do science-based target information the SBTI which is probably the highest acknowledged factor in trying to estimate the total emissions of a company then today I see a lot of companies still not having uh, you know hold of their scope 3 emissions uh, and as such they can never achieve uh, a science-based target information but that scope 3 includes what you get from others you know that's mostly your suppliers or if you sell other products or you need products from your suppliers then quite many companies do not uh, have full insights in their scope 3 emissions and this is really necessary uh, for life cycle analysis uh, so i think the law and regulations you know unfortunately are really not up to the lca game yet but we should still do the life cycle analysis because that's the whole story. So when you consume an avocado, uh, is it really better than eating meat? Well, I think it is, but I think also many people would be surprised how much scope free emissions there is, uh, you know, in uh, consuming an avocado or having chocolate or coffee. Peter Secker, sustainability investment expert on that changing influence that manufacturers and FMG importers are placing on supply chains. However, Rasmus, Peter did also say that there are many companies still not getting the science-based data that they're going to need in the future. Yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, very true. And I think the key is here that many companies are not seeing the push and the the, the push from the consumers and from the buyers. So we need to really also as buyers, as companies, to start pushing our um, our um, our brands and, and where we, we start buying from to actually have this data available. So I think it also is, is tying into that we need to, on the other side, on the buying side, to start putting demands up. But it also falls back to the data. It's hard to get the right data and it can be a very expensive exercise um, so unless it's an integrated part of your branding, uh, it might be in the nice to, to have category or at least assessed as nice to have category for many companies. But that is also where we can see digitalization now is playing a role in making data readily available. Um, and, and that's going to be very interesting to see over the next year and a half how data is going to be uh, much easier for these companies to to assess and get their hands off when we talk about life cycle assessment. But uh, but it has and traditionally still is for something that is reserved for the big companies and many of the smaller companies um, struggle to get the resources available to, to, to go down this road uh, right now. Well, that's it for the second episode of this special Aronex mini-series looking at life cycle assessments brought to you by Fathom World and Reflow Maritime. I'm Craig Eason at Fathom World. And I'm Rasmus Elspur Jensen from Reflow. And before we end this, a little touch into the next episode where we're going to get the ship owner's point of view. 
we are focusing on what we are able to control. So, so I think that the discussion of tank to wake versus well to wake is an important discussion because we are not in a position where we can control the infrastructure or the access. We just need the access to the fuel. And, and when we got that fuel on board, we will make sure that that fuel from a from a tank to uh, to wake perspective uh, is is zero. So this is this is more like a question of when you're going zero, right? Uh, and uh, of course we are. We're here from Oysen Jensen, probably the only shipping sustainability executive who actually sits on the board of directors of a shipping companies. Please sign up for updates and follow the Aronex podcast on your podcast app or even on Spotify. Sign up for the Fathom World newsletter to get these episodes and more into your inbox. And yeah, of course, follow Reflow and Fathom World on LinkedIn and learn more about LCA uh, in the transformation of the shipping uh, space.